You're listening to the Above the Mug Show, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name is Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I meet dozens of interesting people, and today I sit down with one of them to inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from the Black Sheep Lounge right here in Welland, Ontario. You are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people, and we're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life your life passion forward today joined by an incredibly special guest we have alexander mills this guy does a a plethora of things a multitude of things uh probably most notably for his coffee blog which is blowing up we got what over over eleven thousand now yeah over eleven thousand followers on instagram which is wild um i'm a coffee guy and i go to his page to learn stuff which is really cool also a huge uh history in media and photography welcome to above the mug my friend how are you thanks for having me man i'm really good i'm so happy to be here you know in the midst of a global pandemic we're starting to open things up again i know you're starting to have some coffee service here again which Mm -hmm. is i'm super thankful for that uh but thankful to be able to be here with you inside the black sheep lounge and talking about coffee yeah it's really exciting when when i first thought about having you on i've actually thought about this long before covid but i was trying to figure out the right time to have you on because i i thought that you know if we're going to talk about coffee we need to make sure that there is a little bit more of a foundation in Niagara. So if people hear this and they're digging it and they want to explore and dig into the coffee scene a little bit more, that there's more of a foundation. Sure. And I think we're finally starting to get there. We touched on it a little bit uh, before we went on air here, but I, I don't want to get too deep into that yet. Okay. I want to figure out how does someone with a history of media <laughs> get into coffee? Because when I first met you, you were, I, I wouldn't say you were just starting, but you were definitely starting to take it seriously. Yeah. Um, and it was like, oh, this is cool seeing this happen. And then, you know, you close your eyes, you wake up and overnight, <laughs> what it felt like overnight, you've got this serious following, people yeah. that take it very seriously. Your Instagram stories are very engaging. So you've got people that are, you know, sending you pictures of their coffee setup mm-hmm. because of your videos. And I think that's awesome. So how did you get to that point? Man, it's, it, I, I love how it feels kind of like overnight for you, because for me, it feels like an eternity. For which sure. I guess is how these things go. Always. Yeah. Um, I first got introduced to specialty coffee about nine years ago now. Mm-hmm. So I grew up drinking black coffee because my dad drank black coffee and my older brother drank black coffee. Cool. I was a good Canadian. So it was Tim Hortons. Yeah. And that's just, I grew up drinking black coffee. So familiar with uh, the bitterness or, or whatever experience black coffee is. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had gone to Cuba, which is a a coffee producing nation. And I came home with some Cuban coffee, which probably wasn't great coffee, but I thought it was cool. A few days later, I traveled out West to spend some time with friends of mine. And a friend of mine was coming from the West coast and he brought coffee with him from a roaster called Bows and Arrows in Victoria. And he saw that I brought my Cuban coffee with me and he says, why don't we do a swap? Why don't, why don't I take your coffee home? You take mine home. I said, sure. Mm. And so what he brought was a natural coffee from Ethiopia, naturally processed. And it tastes, I drank it black, of course, but it tasted like blueberries. Yeah. And this is the story that so many people share with me. They have this same experience. Mine's the exact same. Exactly. This coffee tastes like blueberries. And your first thought is like, oh, what was added to this? Or like, was this made with blueberries? And it's like, no, this is just how this coffee tastes. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that coffee tastes that way, but it Mm. did. And that experience propelled me into drinking better coffee. So I got a coffee subscription, I got an AeroPress, a Chemex, and I just started brewing coffee at home. So that's nine years ago. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to about a few years ago where you and I first met here in Welland at the Black Sheep. Um, And I started talking about coffee online on Instagram. Uh, kind of by accident. I didn't go out of my way 
to start a coffee blog. I just started talking more about coffee on Instagram. And I think that's kind of how Instagram works is you just, I don't know, you just kind of stumble into your own voice, mm-hmm. whether you turn into a, a travel blog or um, a coffee blog or whatever it is, you kind of find a niche and it, it, at least for most people I talk to, you kind of stumble into it by accident. That's what happened for me. And I don't know, man, like you said, like I, I, I come from an extensive media back fr- background. I was formerly a full-time wedding photographer and I've done tons of video work. So I have the, the gear and the know-how to make coffee look beautiful, but I mm-hmm. also love to talk about it. So pair those two things together and you actually have content that's very, not just engaging, but super informative and helpful for people who are either wanting to learn more about coffee or specifically brew better coffee at home. Um, brew better coffee. Yeah. So I've got the shirt on, it says brew better coffee on it. And that's the whole thing. So like now that this has become what it is and it's, it's this coffee blog that I have a ton of fun with, Mm -hmm. uh, but a platform that's growing pretty rapidly. I've, I've learned over time that that's what I do and why I do it is to help people brew better coffee at home. So that, you know, it, it started, it started on Instagram. Now it's turned into a, a blog on my website, alexandermills.ca and now I'm on YouTube. So it's all just kind of happening, but it's, it's an absolute blast. Well, this is, it's really exciting, man, because one of the things I was alluding to when we were talking as you walked in to get started here was about how small the scene is in, in Niagara sure. and why that's weird, mm-hmm. right? Because Niagara is an internationally recognized destination, yep. specifically for Niagara Falls, but for some more of the, of the culinary snobs, they'll know about Niagara and the Lake and parts of St. Catharines. We have close to a dozen of the top 100 restaurants in Canada are within a 20 kilometer radius of this place. So, I mean, this is a destination for a lot of people and culinary is included. So why not coffee? It's a weird, it's a weird thing that we're taking so long to catch up. The West coast has figured it out. Um, Montreal, which is probably the closest to us Mm -hmm. where they really figured it out. Uh, People would even assume the GTA, but Toronto has very few super killer, um, roasters and specialty coffee shops they're there yeah but considering how many people are there oh yeah there should be way yeah, way way more for sure so why do you think it is that coffee hasn't made it there yet uh you know i i have this conversation pretty frequently with people online who find out where i'm from and then through conversation find out that there's very little to no specialty coffee scene specifically in the falls which is where i live yeah and they are just perplexed at that thought And I've learned through those conversations and just through self-reflection, talking to business owners like yourself, um, becoming uh, pretty familiar with other successful coffee cultures in other big metropolitan cities, both in Canada and the United States, is that Niagara Falls is a pretty big city, about 100,000 people. But over the course of 12 months, about 30 million tourists will come through that city. So like these numbers, like that number to me is just like, it barely computes. Like it's astronomical how many tourists come through the city. I think the reason specialty coffee hasn't succeeded or, or hasn't even really been considered in a city like Niagara Falls is because it's not a community oriented city. Cause that's what coffee is. You and I are sitting down at this table and I'm looking around the cafe at all these other tables and we both have a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. and this is what um, coffee is to me. It's like, it's part of this community. Like to the people listening, you can probably think of some of the most important or intimate conversations you've ever had, or the deepest laughs you've ever had. A lot of them are shared across a cup of coffee. Absolutely. It's such a community oriented beverage and Niagara Falls specifically is not a community oriented city. It's a tourist oriented city. Yeah. 
And as someone who lives in Niagara Falls, I was born and raised in Niagara on the Lake, but my wife and I bought a house in Niagara Falls, so we're putting down our roots there. Um, that saddens me. And I don't know what part I play in that in the future, um, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of perplexing, you know, for th the fact that I have to drive 45 minutes outside of Niagara Falls and St. Catharines, which is a bigger city, like mm -hmm. larger population. Yeah, 140,000 or so. Exactly. I have to drive out to Welland out here or the next closest shop worth driving to is in Hamilton. That's 45 mm -hmm. or 50 minutes away. And that's, that, that's a shame to me. I could name every single shop that I would drink coffee at in one breath. Absolutely. And I mean, there's some really good people, even when our values may not be completely aligned. You know, there's places like Kraft, places yep. like Mate. Uh, there's a few places that I'm working with now third space in Niagara sure. Falls, they're starting to really figure that this out. Um, but I find it's not coffee people that are figuring out coffee, it's restaurants. Yeah. And that took a little while. And it started with wineries. We approached wineries because the first chef we had here was had, had really deep roots in that world, in, in this really funky cuisine world. And so he got my foot in the door with a lot of winery owners brewery owners and they wanted to do something a little bit different mm -hmm. and especially when fall kicks around and people want to start doing stouts and heavier beers that have sure. that coffee influence it's yeah. usually mocha or whatever they want to call it or some vanilla uh, they came to us because they wanted coffee and uh, there started to become a few other places like signal that's around now yep. and they do a really good job uh, 416 is around the, there's so few of us you know working in this pool and so i found that as wineries and I guess larger businesses started to take on our coffee or at least specialty coffee in general. Yeah. Their clientele figured out that there was another world to coffee and it's slowly over the course of five years for us being open, more and more people are starting to figure it out. Personally, I'm happy it took a long time because I didn't know what I was doing at all in the right. beginning. It gave me a lot of time to get the kinks out. Right. And even though I didn't know what I was doing, it was still better coffee than what most people were used to. Sure. So they're, like, their minds are blown. I'm happy because they're happy, yeah. right? But then it gave me enough time to really like, okay, you don't know what you're doing yet. So let's, let's figure out how you can make the experience better for your customers. But I think you nailed the, the perfect point about coffee is it's the community aspect yeah. of it. And well prior to my love of actual coffee, although I've drank it my entire life, the reason I opened a shop was for a cafe. Sure. It wasn't for the coffee. It was because I love talking to people. And like you said, those gut laughs and, and those life talks yeah. that I had in cafes, I wanted to be able to do that every single day. And so that's what the shop was about. And I think that's why we were able to build such a strong community presence mm -hmm. was because I honestly was here for the people. Yeah. Um, and then coffee was, not that it was secondary, but it was, it was definitely just behind the people experience. Well, it's a great way to bring people together. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's such a common denominator, whether, whether you, whether you know anything about specialty coffee or not, you know, something about coffee. It's like, aside from water, it's probably the world's most consumed beverage. So yeah. it's a great way to bring people together. And I think you've done such a great job here, uh, because it's clear, um, if you've ever been inside this cafe or ever even just looked at your store hours, mm -hmm. it's pretty clear that community is the first and, and foremost priority here because mm -hmm. you're open to like sometimes ungodly hours. Why? Because you're, you're surrounding around art and music, yeah. which is not something that, that, uh, restaurants or even cafes normally do. So you can tell that community comes first here and, and coffee is such a great way to, to facilitate that and bring people together. For sure. I, I want to jump into a little bit of, of your media background and why that 
has made maybe your job easier or harder, mm-hmm. where obviously it, it started as a hobby, something you did very casually, just sharing something you're excited about being coffee, yeah. and now turn, turning into, I'm assuming, a lot of work. Because although you're experienced in media, like I'm someone who's not, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm learning how to do it as I go, it is a lot of work editing and lighting and even just where to look in the camera, how, sure. you know, how to be engaging, how long should the videos be. Obviously, you've had a lot of experience in that, but maybe you can give us a little bit of like pros and cons to having a media background prior to getting into sharing your stories through media. Yeah, that's something that, that folks ask me a lot. Like, how do you have the time to do this? Because people will ask me, so how long have you worked in coffee? And I'll respond like, I don't, I don't actually work in coffee. Like I run a coffee blog, but this is not my full-time gig. And, and people are surprised and they say, well, how do you have the bandwidth to, to create this content or write these blog posts and make these YouTube videos? And honestly, I, I think the key, so yeah, my experience with cameras and editing software and lighting and audio and all, those, all that tech stuff, I, to be able to lean on that and not have to think about any of that too much is, is a huge win and, and something that really helps uh, ease the workload. Mm-hmm. But the key for me in this and also in other areas of my life is to make sure that anything I'm, I'm producing, any content I'm creating comes from an overflow. So I'll tell you what that means. So instead of like mapping out a week or a month on a Trello board and saying, well, I want to talk about this and I, I want to post about this, I, I kind of work in the inverse. I live my life Mm-hmm. And from those experiences and, and from the information that I gather and the, the, the information that, that I acquire, the experiences that I have, the overflow of that is what comes out online. So when I'm talking about, for example, let's say we're talking about water chemistry or grind size or something, it's not because last week I looked ahead to this week and said, I want to talk about water chemistry next week. It's because last week I had an experience with water chemistry that I took note of and the post came from the overflow of that or the blog post or the YouTube video came from the overflow of that. Mm-hmm. So always making sure that like my proverbial tank is on full to the point of overflowing. So I can just spill out on Instagram that and, makes total and sense. it doesn't actually take anything from me. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I feel the same way about this. The difference is I'm just not skilled in media yet. It, I have a bit of an audio background, which has helped. It helps with that because sure. of course in a podcast, it's the most important thing. Yep. And that's been something that was difficult for me moving out of my office to do the podcast here because of COVID. Yep. The room was a lot smaller there, a lot easier to control. There was no natural light. So I didn't have to worry about that. I could have a completely controlled with studio lights. I had all the sound deadening equipment on the walls. all of that kind of stuff so that was easy coming out here i mean the the inner audio anxiety is coming out because i'm like oh i know there's a bit more of an echo than there used to be and stuff like that so um the reason i bring that up is because how you said you don't have to think about that part as much that definitely becomes a a hurdle for people like myself who are just getting started or have very limited knowledge but i also don't want it to be a deterrent and that's why i like having people like yourself on is because you obviously didn't wake up one day and were just a genius with everything you did (laughs) like it's something that you had to start somewhere i mean you've been enjoying coffee in the way that you do for nine years that's a long time a long time like i don't think anyone knew in Niagara, what an, an Aeropress was nine years ago. No, no. You know, like I hardly knew about it and I was opening a coffee shop. Right. So that tells you like the, the, the knowledge was very limited. The people that know about it that I've met are people who've met from, um, who've moved from out West and settled down here because the real sure. estate's more affordable. You know, they're able to, to kind of restart their lives, have a little extra capital, invest in a project, yeah. whatever. So when they come here, they're so excited that there's one place, two places, three places, uh, but they're the only ones that know. And, and the very few that are from Niagara and know are like the, the closet, well, you're not a closet nerd <laughs> anymore, but right. you know, 
people that started as closet coffee nerds. Yeah. So. Well, my advice to anyone, like you said, you know, for, for someone who is trying to, whether it's content on the internet or just frankly, anything mm -hmm. in life, if, if you're starting a new project, a new endeavor, and it feels overwhelming at the scope of things that you have to learn, whether it's audio, video, um, how to write a blog post, whatever it is. Um, because when you try to do it all at once, is overwhelming because mm -hmm. there's a lot to learn. And so my recommendation to people all the time is to go deep before you go wide. And so what I mean by that, I, I, I talk to people all the time about social platforms. They're like, well, should I be posting on TikTok and YouTube? And I got a tweet and this and that. It's like, no, you don't. You need to go deep on one social platform mm -hmm. and get so comfortable there where it feels like breathing. Posting feels like breathing. Then possibly you have the bandwidth to go and explore another platform. Mm -hmm. So for you, opening a coffee shop, could you have started a podcast when you opened the shop? Not a Absolutely chance. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> not. You don't have the bandwidth for that, right? Yep. But now the shop runs like a well-oiled machine. You're mm -hmm. roasting coffee. You're super comfortable here. Well, now you have more bandwidth to explore something new. And, and that's, so, that's, like, that's some of my best advice for folks who are trying something new on the internet, whether it's content creation, what it is, whatever it is. Go deep before you go wide because when you go wide, you can't really serve. You feel like you're serving everybody, but you're not really serving anybody. When you go deep on, on somewhere first, like I, I, I just got on YouTube last week, mm -hmm. you know? I've been on Instagram for 11 years. Mm. So I, and taking it seriously for the coffee for the last for what, four, four years or four so. so yeah. So like it was a grind and, and a long time before I decided to expand to another platform. And frankly, I didn't go to YouTube because I wanted to, but I went to YouTube because some of the content I wanted to create has a better home on YouTube. It's sure. the second largest search engine in the world. That's how people use it. People don't use Instagram as a search engine. So I've got some content that should be searchable. So it has to live on YouTube, yeah. but uh, yeah, go deep before you go wide. I think that's incredible advice. I, I dealt with that a long time ago with some friends of mine who they would see what I was doing and they're like, man, you're doing so many things. How is it possible you do all these things? And then they jump into 42, 52 things. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, yeah, I, I played drums and you know, I was working full time and I had you know, time to travel and do all these things. And they're like, how are you doing all that? I'm like, listen, I started, I've been drumming since I'm, I was 11 years right. old. You know what I'm saying? So at that time, I'd already been doing it for nine, 10 years, yeah. right? And then on top of that, you know, maybe five years into drumming, I started singing. And then five years after that, I actually had the opportunity to start traveling for music. And so then everyone sees that you have a bunch of things that you're doing. It's like, well, not really. It's exactly what you said. You, I, I focus so much of my time and energy on drumming, right? Every waking minute I was on YouTube watching how to do new rudiments for exactly. drums. And then, you know, talking to other drummers, playing in bands. I didn't do anything but drums for five years, maybe yeah. longer. And then I slowly started adding on what I would call beneficial accessories. You know, sure. these are things that they just kind of work hand in hand. Just like with you and Instagram, it's still a visual media platform. Yeah. So is YouTube. Totally different animals, but it's a natural pro progression. It yeah. makes sense. Like social media is changing so quickly. And, you know, it, I even thought about doing TikTok for a while because coffee makes sense there. But it's easy to think that because now there are very famous coffee people on TikTok. Yeah. But that's the wrong time to get into it. It, ha it has to feel natural to you in yeah. some way. Even if it's new, even if it's, if it's a little uncomfortable, it should still feel like the right fit. Right? Yeah. It's like when you buy a new shoe. It may not be as comfortable as it's going to be in a month from now, but you know it fits you. Yes, right? yeah, and, exactly. and that's kind of where I've, I've been taking social media for the black sheep lately is I've noticed that nobody cares about Facebook anymore. Um, but we still have an older generation that comes into our shop that 
finds out our hours sure. and our programming through Facebook. So I'm not going to abandon it, but my energy is completely focused now on Instagram and actually on email marketing, which oh, yeah. sounds super outdated, but is actually very oh, relevant dude. and I very useful. I can talk useful. about email all day, <laughs> all day. But th that's the thing about social media specifically is when you, you have a, when you post whatever you choose to project, project online, people see the, the, the product, but they, you can't see the process. That's right? true. Yeah. So people see the product. They're like, oh, how do you, how do, you do that? I, I need to start creating something like that. Or I need to do what Lucas is doing. I need to do what Alex is doing. And I need to do it this way. But it's like, you can't do it this way until you go through the process. And you can't see the process just by looking at the product. You know, so whether it's drums or whether it's learning how to write a blog about coffee, like there's a, there's a, a process, a years of process that goes into creating something like you or I can create. And it would actually be really difficult to replicate that process to even get that desired result anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the process that, that we need to take cues from and say, how can I, how can I emulate this process? How can I, how can I live my life in a way that, that emulates this grind to maybe get something that looks like the end result? Um, you know, for the same reason, but, uh, email. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> e email. And what you were talking about, about overflow, right? It's, I think that's exactly the right point to make because yes, it's in your extra time and yes, it is important to have a game plan because obviously with your overflow, you're still, you still realize and recognize that you have a coffee platform, sure. right? So it's not like, oh wait, I have coffee that I have right. to do. So you know, it's there. So <laughs> yeah. you're, you're obviously going to be thinking about it, but it's important for people to understand that it takes time and you figure it out as you go a lot of the time too. Like I've been doing this for five years while we've been open, seven years if you include the two years prior with having the building and trying to prep to get the shop open. Yeah. And to this day, I'm figuring it out. When I talked to you before we, uh, before we went on, talking about how every Monday and Tuesday when we're closed, I'm spending that time rearranging the shop. So yeah. I'm literally every week changing everything about what we do here because you, you need to find a... You have to figure out where you're going to fit in, where you settle in, and how it's going to serve your audience in the most effective and efficient manner, too. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. So how about your, your travel? Because you've done a lot of travel mm -hmm. in your life. A lot of it's through work. I would assume most of it's through yep. work, right? Yep. So how has that played a part in um, maybe in what you're interested in? Because I'm assuming as you travel, you meet new people, new cultures. They'll explain how coffee may may mean something different to them. Uh, even in Canada, just going from one sure. coast to another, it's going to com be completely different yeah. on how they view coffee. Has that changed how you view media, how you view the coffee world? Oh, yeah. um, how much of it has travel played a part in your life? It has changed how I view the world, just how everything works and why it works the way it does. Um, most of my recent travels have, have been through work and I'll talk about that in a second, but most of my early travels and, and I was really privileged even as like a teenager to be able to see a lot of the world. Um, I went to Vietnam in grade, the summer of grade 11, I think with Habitat for Humanity, we built a yeah. couple homes. Um, I've traveled to Cuba with my dad a few times to do some, some missions work where my dad and I are both pastors, you know that. Yep. Um, and, and so I, I've been around doing some, some work with churches all over the world and then when I graduated high school, I moved to Uganda 
and I lived there for, for six months and I met a girl there from South Carolina who's my my wife and the mother, uh, yes, and the mother of our child who's on the way, who, which nobody knows about. I just dropped that on the podcast right now. Oh man, I'm so, <laughs> I wanted to ask you because I saw a post forever ago, like sometime yeah. in 2019 about that. So very exciting, but anyway, yes. I don't want to interrupt you. Um, and so I met her there, but so those travels, specifically those trips to Vietnam and to Uganda, mm-hmm gave me the gift of what I, I guess would describe as like a more holistic worldview. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I, God, man, like, I think it's essential for somebody like you and me who grew up where we did. And I'm speaking to people mostly who grew up in the West. You grow up in this American bubble that, that is, is built around American values that, that says America number one and, and, and even Canada to some extent. And when you can break out of that bubble and see the way other people live on this planet and how they live and why they live, it just broadens your perspective and your worldview. And when you come home, you can't see anything the same anymore. Um, and so those two trips specifically really marked me and have, have changed the way I look at everything. And then more specifically, my recent travels through work, um, I'm a licensed drone operator. So I, I fly unmanned aircraft uh, to film stock footage it's mm-hmm. very cool it's uh another topic for another podcast <laughs> um but i've traveled for for that specific reason all over the continental uh united states and canada and then into europe and specifically when it comes to like modern uh and and coffee culture it's been such a gift just to see um the different values that different cities and different countries have around whether it's community or um, coffee service, the way, that, the way that service happens in a bar. You know, there's this great cafe in Vancouver called uh, Harkin, and it's right in, in the Lower East Side in Japantown, and their, their approach to customer service is very Japanese in nature, and it's, like, it's unlike anything you could experience in Ontario. Like You couldn't find something like that here. That's cool. And so just being able to step foot on somebody else's land and, and, and be immersed in their culture and learn how to listen and learn, um, I think has given me uh, s- some gifts that I, I can't even really articulate very well, um, but I, would, I hope that, that people would, if you have the opportunity to travel, to take it, um, and, and with your eyes open, just, just learn about how other people live and, and realize that we're all just trying to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe we don't know as much as we think we do. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you're 100% correct, man. I think not that travel is for everyone, but I think it's important that everyone should travel yeah. at some point just to find out if they like it or not. And travel doesn't need to be expensive. Of course, if you're trying to do a traditional trip to Italy, it's yes. going to be very expensive. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, someone like myself who I never really had much of a hankering to travel. It's not something that ever was exciting to me. Um, but I always liked the idea of doing a coffee trip because obviously it's something I became passionate about yeah. and then eventually made a business around. Uh, and you start to see these videos online of people doing coffee origin trips and you're like, whoa, that's that's beautiful. You don't realize that coffee is this beautiful plant and it's, you know, some are really tall, some are really short. They come in different colors and shapes and sizes. And I'm like, I'd really like to see that in person. And so when I first met uh, Graham from Monogram in Cambridge, he had told me, he's like, listen, one of these days, you and I were going to go to Nicaragua because we had, we'd been using um, coffee from the same farm. We're an hour and a half away from one another. So it wasn't like it was direct competition. It was just something we could do together as coffee people. And so uh, sure enough, the opportunity came six months 
months after that conversation and we went to Nicaragua for their harvest. And we got to meet the farmers that were growing the coffee I'd been using for two and a half years and um, meet their family and, and eat in their homes and pick cherries from the same trees that, you know, we've been drinking from without even knowing. And that experience changed my life and not in, a, I try not to be cliche about it, but really, I mean, yeah. there's a really healthy perspective that gets forced down your throat when you experience a culture you've never been immersed in yeah, before. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I had that opportunity once. And then again, this pat not this February, but the February before I was in Honduras with my girlfriend, Katie, and, and our friend Waylon, who's our, our roaster here. And, you know, for me to be able to go there for a, a second time now to Central South America, um, but then also be able to kind of guide two people I care about in this world and see the excitement in their eyes. It's just amazing how how that kind of experience can change you. And so when you come back and you start thinking about the product, you know, we think twice about dumping half a cup down the drain. Yes. You think twice about, oh, well, we didn't sell much today and taking the pot and just dumping it down. Yeah. Or, you know, you waste espresso grounds. You think about that part of it now. Yeah. And you also think about how much you should be selling it for and how much you should be buying it for. So many things change. And that's just one, that's one experience about one uh, specific product. Yeah. So imagine when you start thinking about, you know, other things, chewing gum or chocolate. vacuums or chocolate, yeah. like it doesn't matter how modern it is or how often you see it in your life or how little you see it in your life. Every single product has an origin. Yeah. It has a place where it started and yeah. it usually takes a crap load of work to get it from a raw form to a completed marketable form. Yeah. And so once you start diving into it, you just, you look at everything differently. Yeah. You know, the way I even look at rhubarb, you know, yeah. something that we grow here in Niagara, right. quite a bit of it. Um, something we think about only when pies come out, we're like, oh, this is nice. It's yeah. a nice thing that we can consume. Yeah. But then you see how much work goes into it and when they have to plant it and when they have to harvest it. It's just, it's exhausting. Well, Farming I'm, is exhausting. It is. And I'm glad you brought that up and to bring it back around towards coffee because I, I recognize uh, the point of privilege that I'm speaking from when I, when I talk about the travels I've been able to do and even to say like, well, if you have the opportunity to travel, you should take it. Well, frankly, not everyone has the opportunity mm -hmm. to travel. So what that means is for folks like you or for me who have and have had these experiences and like you said, have frankly just straight up without hyperbole had our lives changed. For real. Now we carry a responsibility to tell those stories. So when it comes to coffee, I, I'm, I, would, I was just about to say you wouldn't believe, but I'm sure you would because I'm sure you have very similar conversations here in the cafe. Mm -hmm. The amount of people who don't know that coffee is a fruit. They're just, you just watch their brains melt out of their ears when you say, well, coffee is a fruit. And so for you and I who have had those experiences, whether it's in coffee or whatever it is, it's now our responsibility to tell those stories mm -hmm. and connect those dots and make that supply chain a little bit shorter for the people who walk into the black sheep or the people who walk into wherever. Because like you said, every product, everything we consume, whether it's food or not, has an origin, but specifically for food. And, and we're part, you and I are part of a generation that is so much more socially conscious for sure. about yeah. where we spend our money, how we spend our money, why we spend our money, who we're investing in, uh, what, what, um, what resources we're using and what impact that has on the planet. We're so socially conscious about where we spend our money and our purchasing decisions. When it comes to coffee or, or anything else, really, it's those stories that you and I are privileged to tell mm -hmm. that are going to uh, make folks more informed purchasers. And I love that we live where we do because I get to use the wine analogy all the time. 
wine and coffee are grown and picked and produced in such similar ways. Yeah. Even the fruit, they're just so similar. They are. And, uh, and so I get to paint that picture for folks, especially who are from Niagara and, and they get it. They're like, Oh, so, you know, coffee's picked like this and, and they can envision a cherry cause we grow cherries here too. Yep. And what a seed of a cherry is, it's like, that's the coffee bean and it's processed like they process wine down the street and this and that. And, and so it puts like flesh and bones on, on this bag that you get to hold. And, and then, like you said, that informs your purchasing decision. So when someone walks in the shop and sees a bag of coffee for, I don't know, what do you sell a bag of coffee for? 20 bucks or something? I, I wish. Our, I was actually having this conversation today, but no, it's uh, our, our most expensive is 18. So. Okay. But even 18, mm. for some people, that is a lot. That's just foreign. Yeah. They, they can't reconcile that until you tell them the story and you yep. connect those dots for them and they realize, oh, well, this cup, this pour over coffee, as I watch you make it by hand, is going to be worth four bucks because I can now see the worth in the product because of the story you've told. Absolutely, and, and you nailed the, uh, nailed the nail right on the head here because you know, it's, you're not just selling the experience and the knowledge, it's also recognizing that what I buy the coffee for raw is more than what most uh, commercial and commodity coffee roasters sell it for. Yeah. You know, so I mean, I'm, I'm already at a way higher cost and it may not seem like a lot, but then you add the bag and the labor and everything else that comes oh, along with it. the margins are razor thin. And, and you know, I'm not saying you can't make a living. Of course you can, yeah. but it's not, it's not as amazing as people think they're like yeah. $18 coffee costs like 30 cents, right? No. Like, well, not our coffee. Yeah. No, no, it costs a lot more. And, and I had that conversation with, with Graham from Monogram today. We were talking about how the cost of coffee are changing significantly because of climate change. And people are like, oh, climate change, blah, blah, blah. That's it. I'm like, the way that works for farmers, especially the closer to the equator you get, it gets really funky, really yeah. fast. Yeah. And I got to witness that firsthand, um, especially when we were in Nicaragua, because we were a little bit higher up. And they were having plants flower at the same time as they're harvesting the fruits. Yeah. And for people who aren't in agriculture, just know that that's a bad thing. Yeah. It's a yeah. very, very bad thing. So, you know, to see how much coffee is being wasted because it's falling off the tree and rotting and pests are coming and destroying the plant entirely. We're talking about seven years before they could, they have to dig that up and replant yeah. once that soil is properly nourished again. And then five to seven years before that thing even fruits again. Yeah. It's just, it's a, a crazy amount of time and effort that goes into this. So. Yeah. And so people hear that point and, and people have these conversations with folks like you and me and they take it personally and they realize, well, hold on, how long am I going to be able to drink coffee for before it's gone? And that's, that's a very like self centric perspective because the, the real people who are at risk here are the people that you visited, the yeah, farmers, absolutely. the pickers that you visited in Nicaragua and Honduras, because what happens is a lot of these families, a lot of these farms are family farms. Mm -hmm. So as a child, this is your inheritance. So your parents are working on a farm in, in Nicaragua and climate change is making their job more difficult to the point where their farm is no longer profitable. So what do they do? They get rid of it. And now the farm that that every, every group of children in that family has inherited down the generational line, there are kids who are living right now, right now, kids who are living right now in coffee-producing countries who will not have something to inherit because their parents' farm is going, is going to shut down yeah. because of climate change. So it, there are real lives at risk here. You're absolutely right. And if you do want to focus, this, uh, focus on this in a selfish way, the worst case scenario for us in North America when it comes to coffee is not that they abandon coffee farms and move on to something else. It's if they 
switch their farm from coffee to another agricultural product, which is happening more often than, than switching their careers entirely. Yeah. Most are switching to coffee, uh, sorry, into chocolate from coffee. Yeah. A lot of them are switching into vanilla and all sorts of other trop- tropical fruits and, and vegetables because they're more profitable than coffee. And yeah. coffee every year, the cost of producing it goes up, yet no one's willing to pay anymore for the final product. But we don't blink when bananas go up in price yeah. or when mangoes go up in price because it's an exotic again air quotes (laughs) exotic fruit right right. what do you think coffee is yes it comes from the same countries it's an exotic fruit i know but people don't know and they don't care yeah that's that's the problem and i think our grandparents generation is is the biggest i don't want to say problem because it's not it's not it's not their fault (laughs) god bless but i think it's the biggest hurdle sure for the new coffee movement and to keep coffee as a sustainable product is because they've conditioned every generation after them to believe that coffee is a secondary beverage sure. or that it's a kind of bottom class commodity product, something that can be in a freezer or something that can be in a mason jar yeah. and it, or a tin can. And it just simply cannot. I mean, well, tin cans. Yes. They're right, making those, right, right. they're making good versions yes. of tin can coffee. These or days, it's right. like, it's a, it's almost like a utilitarian beverage. It's like yeah. you use this to get up in the morning. Yeah. You know, I use this to get through the day. Um, and if that's the case, then I can't spend more than a buck or two for it because I need three or four a day yep. and I don't like the way it tastes on its own. So I put cream and sugar in it to make it palatable. And we've framed coffee in this way that is just so unhelpful to the specialty version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is a shame. And, 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 you know, it's so easy to draw the parallels to wine around here for sure, because there, there are, there are two types of wine you can buy. You can go to the store and buy a box of red wine that for like 12 bucks that you put in the fridge and, and it tastes like red wine and you probably put ice cubes in it, which is fine. Or you can go to one of these wineries down here and probably spend at the minimum $20 for a bottle, which if you do the math, you know, $20 for a bag of coffee, there's about 17 cups in a bag of coffee, mm-hmm. $20 for a bottle of wine. There's about four, maybe five cups in a bottle of wine. So you're already spending three, four times as much on wine as you are on coffee. Why? Because we all agree that wine is a specialty product. People mm-hmm. usually don't drink it every day. It's not a utilitarian beverage. It's a lovely pairing to a nice piece of meat or a nice piece of tuna. Like it's just, it, we, it's, we've put it in a whole nother category. And I think, and I, I know you'll agree that coffee deserves to be in a similar category mm-hmm. and the work to get it there. Uh, it's, I mean, specialty wine is hundreds of years old. Specialty coffee is a few decades old. So we're still young. Like we're still Very finding young. our way. Yeah. We're in our um, infancy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's been a grind, man. I 100% agree with you. I think the difference uh, between coffee and wine, and I think something that makes me slightly pessimistic about our future, or at least our near future in coffee, is the fact that Niagara has been a internationally recognized wine community for probably about 50 or 60 years. We've been doing it longer than that, yeah. but I mean, we, we've been big players for about that long. Coffee hasn't even, we haven't even got to the point where we can consider ourselves a big player at all or an international player. So I think we're we're looking at a long time before we get to that point. But the one thing that's good about that alcohol analogy is that there should be some inexpensive coffees or not the best coffees because there's forever going to be people who just want it or can't afford the best of the best. But the difference I'd like to make is if in Niagara, if people started drinking only cheap wine and not expensive wine, there'd be people losing their jobs, but 
probably not losing their life. Yeah. You know, and the difference with that and coffee is that in coffee, we're hardly paying for the bottom end. Right. 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 And so if, if that chain falls apart, we're talking about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of yep. people losing their livelihood and some potentially losing their lives. You know, I mean, the funny, well, it's not funny. It's just a bizarre thing to witness when you go to a coffee producing country, especially one in, in the Americas, mm-hmm. where you're at the bottom of the mountain of a coffee producing mountain, and it's just complete poverty. You've got kids drinking from puddles and stray dogs everywhere and garbage and just no infrastructure. And then the higher up you get in the mountain, the more the specialty coffee, the more, you know, it costs to produce, um, the, you typically not always, but typically it's a better quality coffee. Hmm. And you immediately say, see the changes. You start to see a few vehicles, you start to see a little bit better infrastructure and to see the class structure that evidently uh, right in front of your eyes is a weird thing to experience. Yeah. So I think being able to see it that clearly mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to empathize and a lot easier to want to make changes, uh, to have that desire. Yeah. Where in Niagara, there's poverty all around us, but we don't always recognize it. We don't always see it because it's not that clear. Sure. There could be a kid that doesn't eat, and so maybe they're in their elementary school and they, they come a little bit early to school and they right. go to the lunch program and they eat. And that's that's our poverty. Yeah. That's, you know, it's rampant in yeah. this area, yeah, yeah. but it's not easy to see, yeah. you know, cause they still have clothes. It's just not yeah. Yeah. Gucci. They can still or go to school. Sh- exactly. Yeah. And so when you go to a, a developing country and you see something that evident, it's just a weird, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Um, and it, it starts off as a bit of a guilt feeling, Sure. but then I don't think you should dwell there. I think use your advantages to help if that's what you choose to do. And if you really do enjoy the products and the services coming out of these countries or these areas of the world, use your power to influence that. And, yeah. and I think you have a lot more power than, than people would anticipate because yeah. you're one guy with, with one Instagram account. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you have more, but one that we know about, <laughs> yeah. right? And, uh, and that's had a profound influence on about 12,000 people, yeah. right? And I'm one guy with one coffee shop yeah. and we deal with 600 to 700 unique people every week, yeah. right? Coming into the ca- cafe, 700 different people with probably four people in their immediate family, sure. right? So you're looking at already 2,800 people and they probably have friends. Yeah. And you think about how big your influence actually becomes because if a few of those people really take a liking to what you're trying to get across, they're going to be the same influence in their own circles. And that just, it grows exponentially. It doesn't seem that way, but again, what feels like an eternity to you was a blink of the eye to me to watch your growth. So the same thing happens on a societal or even on a national international level. Well, and that's the thing, like it's so easy to get so overwhelmed with the measure of work to do, the measure of progress to be made. And because we're so socially connected, thanks to the internet, we are so much aware of everything that's going on in the world that the weight just seems too much to bear. Um, whether it's racial injustice or, or uh, climate change or um, a humanitarian crisis in coffee, whatever it is, we're aware of it all, right? Thanks we to Twitter. We don't know where to get started, right? And, and we don't know where to get started. And I think that actually, um, that actually prohibits a lot of people from getting started at all. Mm-hmm. because that burden is too much to bear. I don't know where to start. I can't see a tangible way that I can affect change. So why even try? And I think you just painted the perfect picture is that when we become aware, and like you said, uh, guilt is kind of like the first response. We were talking about it before, yep. before we jumped on air here. Um, 
but I think very quickly we need to move to like responsibility. It's like, okay, I, my eyes have been open. Now I see how am I responsible within my sphere, not on the global scale, but within my sphere, how am I responsible? Where can I, where can I assume responsibility to make mm -hmm. change? And so for you, it's educating people, the 700 people who walk into the shop to make better purchasing decisions, right? And, and for them, it's choosing to make better purchasing decisions. That's one of the most effective ways that we can affect change is by where we choose to spend our money. For whether sure. it's clothes or food or Amazon or whatever it is, right? You see my empty box over there? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, I just I got a package <laughs> delivered this morning. Um, uh, but it, it's baby steps. You can't do it all at once. It's one step at a time, one mm -hmm. day at a time. But we all have, you know, people call me an influencer, which I loathe. I loathe that term. But because what people, I think, fail to recognize is that, sure, I have an influence over 12,000 people on Instagram, fine. But we all have an influence. You have an influence over whoever is in your inner circle, mm -hmm. whoever hears you, whoever is affected by you. And so use your influence wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, whether it's just as simple as choosing. Am I going to go to McDonald's and buy my coffee this morning or am I going to the black sheet? You have a choice. And in that choice of spending $2 or $4 on a cup of coffee, rough estimates, mm -hmm. you, you can affect, you can literally affect change. It feels um, insignificant, but it's not. You're absolutely right. And I'm so happy that we got to this point because, you know, I, I always try to have some point in the podcast where I take what we talked about and try to relate this to things that aren't in our field, sure. right? Because of course, we're both coffee people. Um, it Coffee means different things to both of us because of our professions and, and our lifestyles. But at the end of the day, a lot of the things that we talked about tonight about, you know, knowing your, your market, knowing your demographic, figuring out one thing first, go deep, not wide. Yeah. These are all concepts, media, they're all concepts that really relate to everything uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship or small business, or if you want to start a product or a service, or even if you want to do social media for a living. I mean, there's something to be taken out of each one of these episodes with each guest because all of us have one thing in common, which is we are passionate about something yeah. and we turn that into putting money in our pockets. Mm. And that, and the reason why I focus so much on the money aspect is because it's easy to find people who are passionate. It's hard to find people who take action, yeah. you know, and you know, people will say, well, I took action and I didn't, I wasn't successful. I'm like, well, hence you already put it in your past tense, which means you, right. you're not taking action. You took action. Yeah. Take action. Yeah. Current. Yeah. You know, it's going to be present tense. And yeah. it's, it's not just once. It's not for a couple of years. It's forever, every yeah. single day. Every day. Even if it's so small, it doesn't need to be on the list. It could be part of your overflow. Do something. You know, if, if you're someone whose business relies on attention, seek attention, you know, create attention. You yeah. can do that. And it doesn't need to be huge. Like to, to make the example relevant, you know, for yourself having a coffee blog, it doesn't necessarily need to be revolutionary every single day. You don't need to be teaching a lesson, but you yeah. could say, well, today I'm drinking a coffee from Peru. Why this is really fun is because Peru is not a well-known coffee, uh, uh, coffee nation, but they have some amazing coffees and you could do a small little story. And that's something that, you know, maybe won't interest everybody, but yeah. you're still, you're not sitting around and just not posting for the day. Yeah. You found something in your everyday life, something that 
people may not know a heck of a lot about and you you made people aware of that and that's yeah. that's your action for the day it doesn't need to be you know buy new equipment it doesn't need to be change of the world start somewhere and your end game will be much larger obviously than these small indi individual steps but you you had said baby steps and i think that's probably a good segue to talk about the baby <laughs> yes so, uh so today today is tuesday uh, on Friday, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but it's going to be a couple weeks. But okay, perfect. It'll be still exciting. Yeah, yeah. When, so when this three happens. days from now, we're going to let the world know. Uh, but Rebecca and I are pregnant, uh, which is just so Amazing. exciting. Congratulations! We, um, thank you. We are foster parents. So we, if anyone follows me on Instagram, you'll see. Uh, kids sporadically on my stories. Uh, their faces are always blurred out, which some people do for their own kids too, which is totally fine. Um, but the kids are always varying shapes and sizes and ages. And, and, um, so you, people always ask me like, how many kids do you have? And it's like, well, <laughs> a zero sometimes. Um, but yeah, we've been fostering, uh, kids, mostly short-term fostering. Um, so basically it's like respite care. So if there's an emergent situation where they don't have a permanent placement for a child who's coming into care, they'll call us for a day mm -hmm. or two. Or if another foster home needs um, needs coverage for a week or two, they'll call us. So there's always kids coming in and out of our home. Uh, but we've always wanted uh, one of our own. And Rebecca, my wife, she's a midwife. So she uh, she catches babies for a living. She's always catching babies. Cool. And it's just who she is. Like she's just, I, I've known it for as long as I've known her. She's a mom at her core. And so we got bored during quarantine and made a baby and uh, and here we are. So uh, we're announcing that on Friday and we're due in March. So we're just, we're thrilled. That's super exciting, yeah. man. And you know, not that I want to make children a business conversation, <laughs> but I'm going to. Well, they're expensive. So, I know that much. They, they absolutely are. <laughs> you and Rebecca have been together for a while, Yeah. correct? Yeah. How long has it been? We've been married for uh, over four years, but almost together for 10. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's a, a good amount of time for yeah. a young person to yeah. be with somebody. And this, you, you have very similar interests in some ways and different ones in others. Yeah. You know, your lifestyles are unique compared to most sure. a traditional lifestyle. So how, how does fostering children play into that? Like, is this something that of course you love to do it? It's uh -huh. something you care about these kids and that's a great thing. But how do you make that a possibility in, in the lifestyle that you guys lead? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that's, that's actually probably the primary reason that we do respite care, the short-term care. Mm -hmm is because uh, we foster kids anywhere from zero to two. And in that age, rate, age range, um, somebody has to be home 24 seven. Yeah. Um, and, but we both work full time. And so Rebecca's schedule is unique as a midwife. Functionally, it's kind of a mess, but functionally she's one week on, one week off. Yep. So on those off weeks, we're able to say yes when the phone rings. And then on weekends, we're able to say yes because I'm off on weekends. Um, so we make it work that way. And it's one of those things uh, where to some people and even people in our own life who know us really well, it seems like it's a lot. Like, you guys are already so busy. Like, why are you doing this? Or how are you doing this? And it's one of those things where when you know it's the right thing to do, and this, this is pretty similar and kind of likened to what I was saying earlier about operating from the overflow, is when you know it's the right thing to do, it doesn't take much from you. It, it in fact gives more to you. So there, there are like, we live a pretty busy lifestyle and, and people will ask me all the time, like, you're so busy and, or like, how are you feeling or whatever? And it's like, well, if I filled my life with things to be busy that took things from me, I would be absolutely drained. Mm -hmm. But the things that we say yes to, we're really intentional about, which means we say no to a lot of things as well. Yep. But the things we say yes to are intentional yeses, which means we live a full life 
it's mm-hmm. busy, but I like to describe it as full because when I go to bed at night, that's how I feel. Yeah. I don't feel empty. I feel full because the things that we've said yes to um, give to us. They replenish us. And fostering is really hard. It takes a lot from you. But at the end of the day, when you put your head on your pillow, um, we are just full knowing that we're doing the right thing uh, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's great. I've, I knew someone um, for a long time who was very close to um, who was a foster parent, yeah. or at least their family. Uh, they were all foster parents slash siblings, yeah. foster siblings. Yeah. And it's a, it's an interesting lifestyle. Yeah. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were more long term, so they had they had kids for months sometimes at, yeah. at the longest like a year. Yeah. You know, and that that's a long time. And then you know, I think the the question would be a little bit different for you as it would be for them because there'd be a little bit more separation uh, issues for them yeah. because they're with them longer, established relationships. But it doesn't take long to form a bond with no. a baby. No. You know, when you see a, a young human life, you immediately connect with that child. Like you could be. You could pass a random baby in a mall and be like, oh, look at the baby. Yeah. You know? Oh, and yeah. so there's that, there's an innate human quality about sure. us that wants to protect and adore young, like human animals. Yeah. Right? Even non human animals. Yes. I mean, yeah, you yeah. see puppies or kittens, yeah. you're like, oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Cutest thing. So, I mean, I think it's an amazing thing what you do, uh, and it's, it's a difficult job. But the reason why I wanted to ask the question on, you know, how this affects the business life is, is because of that overflow mm-hmm. thing we talked about earlier. Uh, a lot of people, and you made the the perfect distinction. There's a difference between busy and full. Yeah, you know, and that's why I don't like the word busy because I don't want to be busy. Right. Uh, I I want to be fulfilled yeah. in some way, and you know, I I went from being a very active volunteer to someone who you know got elected into public office, and that shift took me from full to busy. Sure. And I realized that although similar. They're not the same no, world. No. You know, when you're a volunteer, you know, although politics, it's still out of the goodness of your own heart, yeah, yeah. because if you like that kind of suffering, you're a strange animal. <laughs> uh, but having said that, I mean, when you're a volunteer, it's strictly, there could be no alternative motives, really. I mean, especially at a local level, because right. there's no, nothing in it for no. you. It's, it's strictly because you want to help or you enjoy the cause that you're working for, the board or the committee, whatever. But, you know, getting into politics there's expectations because it's a paid position, albeit not very much money. (laughs) It's still, it's still a paid position and there are expectations and those expectations are not grounded in any format there's, you can't, if you Google city councilor Ontario, (laughs) it's going to give you a list of things that they do, but it doesn't say what they're expected to do. And, and there's a big difference. Uh, and and that's why I'm happy you made that distinction because this is something that I realized, Mm -hmm. although I enjoy many aspects of, of being a politician, it's not me, you know? And so when my term's up, that's going to be it for me. And that's not a secret to anyone anymore. And, and although I feel that way, I'm still putting my all into it right now, but I know now the difference between busy and full. And, you know, I thought that it would just be the next thing that I did from a volunteer perspective because, well, I still have weekly meetings. You know, I I still, you know, sit through a four or five hour board meeting. It's the same thing. What's the difference? The only difference is the numbers are bigger. Mm but it's not the same, no. you know, it's the expectation. So you really have to know, you know, what's important to you, but it's okay if you misjudge that, you yeah. know? And so I did, mine happens to be a four year commitment. So it's a little bit longer, but four years in the grand scheme of things is nothing. Right. And this will be an incredible learning experience. It has been, I've learned so many things. So I think it's good, yes, to make that distinction, but not to be, 
you know, not, not to just write off the years that you've committed to right. because you're not fully enjoying it. Make sure. the best of, of that situation, yeah. learn from it. And then in the future, don't be afraid to say no. No is not a yes. bad word. No, it's, it's, it's a very good word. No. And, and because you don't want to be known in your friend group or your family as that person who's always busy. The person with a van that helps you move every time someone moves. Yeah. Like you, you don't want to be that person. And, and so you want to know that like when, when somebody has your attention, like they have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding those things that fulfill you is mostly tri- trial and error. Exactly. So yeah. there is some like wisdom and discernment generally that you can use and like know like when there's time to say no to something or time to say yes to something and you know before you even have to say that it's like I know that this is the right thing. But for the most part, it's trial and error. Finding the things to give your life to, give your time, your attention to that um, will either make you busy or either make your life feel full. And also in my life, there are things that I say yes to. Um, or maybe sometimes have to say yes to that don't always leave me fulfilled. And that's fine too. Like, it's not like everything about me has to check that box. Cause that's to be it, a parent. So right. there's going to be a lot of yeses <laughs> exactly, you don't want to make. Exactly. <laughs> like that in and of itself would be a little bit self-serving. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like there, especially for me as, as somebody who believes what I do about the world, like most of my life is, is actually to serve others. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that work, um, although can leave you fulfilled, does, does take a lot of time and energy from you and, and whatever. But um, yeah, I, I think I'm convinced and I think you just articulated it well that it's probably a lifelong journey of, and that is always constantly evolving. So for these four years, you said yes to being a city councilor and the next four years are, are going to be a yes to something else. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that anything was wrong or right or, or this or that, but it's like, no, this is just life you know and and it's it's evolving and it's it's fluid and uh and it's a it's a journey like something to to have fun with you know like who knows how many days any of us have yeah right this could be it honestly like nothing's guaranteed and so like we have this day what are we gonna do with it Mm -hmm. and and to, to like i said earlier to to lay my head down tonight on my pillow and know that what i said yes to today or what i said no to today um was meaningful and hopefully left me fulfilled. I think that's what it's all about. A hundred percent, man. Yeah. I, and, and one last thing before we have to cut this off. I can't sure. believe how fast <laughs> an hour went by. Uh, we can talk about coffee all yes. day, obviously. But, you know, you had mentioned something about the yeses and the noes. But then it, it, there's this common theme that comes up um, in the podcast that I like to touch on. Because a lot of the people that we talk to here are vastly different people with vastly different ideologies and philosophies about life. Mm -hmm. Yet we all get along very well and we're able to sit at the same wood table, mind you during COVID sanitized between (laughs) new pop filters too. Uh, But anyway, we, we managed to sit at the same table and have very different conversations and we still get that fulfillment. Some obviously far greater than others. It depends on who you're talking to, but that's something that I find is lacking in today's culture, today's society, Mm -hmm. especially Western culture is you have to be one side or another. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much you can learn from people that you may have similarities with, but wholeheartedly and vehemently disagree with in other aspects of life. You and I have completely philosophies about spiritual life, Mm -hmm. yet we're at the same table and talking about things that we're both very passionate about. And you don't think I'm an ass that I think, and I don't think you're an ass. We can have a a respectful and enjoyable conversation. For me, I can say I've I've enjoyed (laughs) talking to you. 
But, you know, I think that's something that people need to let go of, especially super young people. Like, we're young people, but there's, you know, the next generations that are in high school, they're going to start figuring out who they are, and there's going to be external pressure saying that this is the kind of person you have to be, this is what you need to believe, Mm -hmm. this is what you need to follow. And I think that's really dangerous for a young mind because exploration is what helps you find yourself, you know? I mean, if you never try chocolate, you don't know if you like Oreos, you know? Oreos are so good. Yes. <laughs> they didn't pay me to say that, by the way. I just really like this Oreos. This episode's sponsored by Oreos. If it was, man, I <laughs> That'd think be big money. we'd have a much nicer <laughs> yes. looking studio than my shop. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think it's just important. So for people to not, not be so caught up in their own mind, to just take some new information in, learn something. I mean, you probably know more about coffee than I do. And I have no problem with it. I'm happy about that because in my mind, you know, I'm a coffee guy. I have a coffee shop. I make my living through coffee. Yeah. But to be able to share a conversation with you and learn something, uh, you know, I, I follow your page on every one of my accounts <laughs> because every time I open Instagram, I want to see your oh, content. Thanks, I, I want, and this is true, man. Like you'll notice that I didn't start following you prior to me asking you. I just genuinely oh, love yeah. what you're putting out. And uh, I think it's important that people can learn from people who have a different perspective. And, and so I appreciate you being here, man. I am really thankful for that. Thanks for saying that. And, and thank you for having me here. I, I just want to hit on something that you said um, about the table, because I think that's the key to it all. Mm-hmm. So it's really easy to disagree and spit vitriol on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, uh, through a text message. Oh, yeah. Over the phone, easier through a text message. But think about it, dude. When you're sitting around a table, it's, it's really hard to not, when I'm looking you in the eyes, to see your humanity and experience our common ground, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Exactly. So, like, I've got family who have political um, ideologies that are so opposite to mine, but I would classify as harmful. And so when I'm not with them, it's very easy for me to demonize them. When I see their posts on Facebook, it's really easy for me to get angry and type out an angry comment, not post it, type it out, delete it. Yeah. But when we're sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table, we can have those conversations in such a different way. And I think that is the absolute key to it all. And that's, again, what I love about coffee is it brings us around this experience where we're sitting across the table looking face to face. I mean, at, at church, we... We believe the same thing. So our church, we're like a, uh, we call ourselves non-denominational, but like, you know, you can't really put us in, in, a, in a, a very clean cut box, but we do something kind of weird every Sunday is we have communion every Sunday. So like that thing the Catholics do with the bread and the wine, we do that every Sunday. Well, why not? Bread and wine's great. I know. But <laughs> the reason is, and we have this lovely table at the front of the church where we, where we put the bread and the, the wine. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is because we need to be reminded that this is all about a table. It's mm-hmm. all about a dinner table. And that's how we try and live out our faith. And I think that's the key to it all is that when you get around a table with somebody, all of the, all of the other stuff kind of falls away because I can see you. Yep. I can see you for who you are. I don't just see your profile picture or the, the link you shared. I see you and that's in, in you. I see a reflection of me. And that's like, that's the human experience. Absolutely. So thank God for coffee for kind of facilitating those kinds of experiences. And thank you for having me on this podcast. Anytime, man. We got to wrap this up, yeah. which is kind of sad, but <laughs> the most important thing, where can people find what you do? Yeah, well, we talked about it at length. You can find it again. Me, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at alexander.mills. Uh, my website, alexandermills.ca. And I just lost something kind of cool. Um, in the fewest words, it's a wine club, but for coffee. 
and on Instagram, it's uh, the coffee club. Uh, on Instagram, it's coffeeclub.ca, but the website is thecoffeeclub.ca. So you can find that there. I can't tell you more about it right now, but it's a wine club for coffee. Very exciting. <laughs> I'm going to have to get myself a membership yes. to that thing. You guys have been amazing. You're listening to Above the Mug, and we will see you next week. Hey, friend. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Above the Mug. For more episodes, check us out at abovethemug.com. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, review, comment, tag your friends. This way you're not the only person listening to this thing. We come up with a brand new podcast every Sunday at noon, so we'll see you next week on Above the Mug. Above the Mug.